The Heart of Christian Generosity, Super Apostles, and Thorns from Satan. All this and more in 2 Corinthians. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, comments, all those good stuff. All those good stuff. Stuffs. Yeah, stuffs, whatever. Yeah. It's the English language is complicated, you know? Yeah. Like all that stuff, subscribe so that mm. the gospel goes out and people learn about who Jesus is, right? Mm. That's right. Okay, That's we're right. doing the rest of Second Corinthians today, are we not? That's right. Yeah, yeah. we're going we're gonna to dig into it. Second Corinthians, what a great book. I know we didn't spend as much time on this one as First Corinthians, but I think we can, uh, we can get to the heart of this book a little easier. Mm-hmm. Definitely Romans was like a low point in terms of just failing miserably because there's so much there. Right. Second Corinthians, we can kind of hit on some of the stuff. Second Corinthians, like we said, is very autobiographical. Paul's going into a lot of his own ministry. We'll see that in the second half mostly. Yeah, he's selfishly bragging about himself. Yeah. 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 He's, he's bragging only because you forced him to. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much. You made me do it. It's like the mom driving the car and be like, I will drive this car off a cliff. Yeah. Exactly. If you don't, if you don't be quiet back there, I will drive it off a cliff. <laughs> so that's kind of how uh, Paul, what Paul's doing. Uh, well, well, he's an apostle though. So, you know, he gets, he gets to do what he wants to do. Yeah. He's, yeah. You don't need the super in front of the apostle. You just need apostle and super yeah, enough. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. Um, so we saw a little bit of the beginning of the book, ministry of reconciliation being laid out. That's through verse chapter seven. And then we're going to see generosity as a focus, the ministry of generosity in chapters eight and nine, and then mm-hmm. the ministry of Paul at the end, where yep. he's going to say why it is that his message. And th- this is super important. As Paul is arguing for his own uh, apostleship, he's also arguing for his gospel. Yeah. So this is a very important thing for him to say, look, this is why um, my work is so important in mm-hmm. the ministry I'm doing is so important. Right, yeah. Hey, so we're going to the gospel. Yeah, so, no. yeah. So we're going to see the cruciform life a little bit more, right? The, the cross-shaped life that we're living in light of how Jesus died on the cross. Paul's going to show that how that works out in terms of how we give, how we live, and how he has done his ministry mm. as well. Yeah, and why he is more—he's better than these so-called super apostles. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. Well, might as well jump right in chapter five. Let's do it. So in the beginning of chapter 5, we see this focus on an eternal home, the need for an eternal home. And um, in verse 6, he says, We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So saying they're away from the Lord, he's saying we haven't arrived to our final home with God. Mm -hmm. So that shows you that when you leave this body, when you die, you go to be with God. Mm -hmm. We've seen this a few times in the Bible, right? When the thief on the cross believes yeah. in Jesus, and, he, and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah. So to, to die, if you're a believer, is to be with God. So there's still, there's, I mean, even though we have God living inside of us, that relationship does not look like what it will look like in eternity. Yeah. So Paul's longing for that, and he says, verse 8, yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And, and later he'll talk about this in Philippians too, right? I'd rather be dead, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> but since I'm here, I'll minister, yeah. right, this kind of thing. Um, verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So that's what it's all about. He's saying we're trying to live for him, and we can't wait to get home. Mm-hmm. And I would, I, would, I would just ask you know, everyone listening, is that how you feel about Jesus? Mm. Like, would you be happy to die 
so you can be with Jesus fully? Or are you like, ah, I'm at a stage of life where, you know, I'm, I'm just getting married and I'd like to just be married. You know, I'm going to have kids. That'd be really cool first. Or my 401k is, you know, getting really nice. <laughs> like, I just think it's so easy for us to constantly be thinking yeah. of this life is what we're all about. And not that I say I want any of you guys to depart early, but to, to be home with God is a great thing. Yeah. And let's see it that way. Yeah. I think I saw during this COVID season how many people were just out of self-interest very often were were more terrified of death than you should be as a Christian. Right. When when God says that there's a good death, which is one that's lived courageously or faced courageously for his glory. Mm-hmm. So I, I love Paul's encouragement here. Death is not something we have to be afraid of. He goes on to talk about this ministry of reconciliation some more. He says, verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So this is a good reminder of what it is that we do in ministry, right? What what the ministry is all about, that all have died in Jesus, all who believe in him have died, and we've died so that we can live a new life mm-hmm. for him. Right. So this is a great another great memory verse from yeah. the book of Second Corinthians. Good one to, to meditate on. And so uh, verse 17, there's a couple of really quotable verses here, really important verses in this chapter. Verse 17 is one of them. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So you're not who you used to be. You're a new creation. This is what defines you, Mm -hmm. is the death of Jesus bringing new life to us as we put away the old self and put on the new self. Mm -hmm. And then uh, verse 21, he says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hmm. So there's so much of that, putting away the old, taking on the new, and that all happens through the death of Jesus. Right. The death of Jesus, which redefines our reality because it puts our old self in the grave. Right. So just just some some important stuff from that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's so good to dwell on those things and to re- be reminded of those things and like have those influence how we live because they, they will literally transform how you live if you meditate yeah. on that stuff. So. Yeah. Chapter 6 and 7 we'll just touch on briefly, but we see in the first part of chapter 6 um, that we should make, he, he, Paul's saying he's making every effort to live out the gospel and to give the gospel without any hindrance. Right. So they endure a lot of things for the sake of the gospel. And then he appeals to them to be reconciled in verse 11. He says, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts also. He's saying, I want to, we want to be back in relationship with you. Mm-hmm. Let's be in good relationship. And then he goes on to talk about how we shouldn't be tied together with unbelievers. We shouldn't be yoked with unbelievers. And this obviously refers, at least in part, to marriage, dating, being careful to not tie your life to someone who's a non-believer. Yeah. But it can also have important implications in business and other things as well. Yeah. Right? Um, be careful how you fellowship with the world. Chapter 7, he touches on godly grief um, briefly. He's, he talks about this letter that he wrote mm-hmm. in verse 8 and how it grieved them. And he says, at verse 9, as it is, I rejoice... Not because you were grieved, because you were grieved. You were grieved into repenting. Yeah, the goal is the important thing. Yeah, yeah. that you actually changed because of this. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. 
Yeah, I just, I mean, I just instantly thought, thought of like the world and wanting like their opinions to grieve other people, not for an end to be achieved like repentance or reconciliation, but just to make other people feel horrible for whatever. Yeah, Swizzy, you know? exactly. And so you contrast that, right? Worldly and godly grief. Yeah. Verse 10, godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief, grief produces death. So worldly grief is, oh, I'm so, I feel so bad. I'm so shamed. I'm so sorry. And all it does is it leads you further and further into destruction. Yeah. Godly grief is meant to move you to something. It's not an end in and of itself. Yeah. It's not be shamed, be guilty. No, it's realize the truth, mm-hmm. feel that pain so that you can change. Right. Yeah. You can grow. So an interesting in chapter seven, some good stuff there. Chapters eight and nine, he gets into the ministry of generosity. Yep. How do you minister through generosity? And this is such an amazing topic because I feel like it's one that people are resistant to because money is very personal, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so people don't, don't want to give. But when somebody begins to be generous and understands the heart of generosity, it's amazing how their life is changed by this. Mm-hmm. It's a very practical stuff here. So he's talking about giving here and he says, verses one and two, that the Macedonians, a different different areas, they were very generous. Yeah, they were generous, and he talks about why they were generous. He says he speaks to the, the nature of generosity. He says, verse three, they gave beyond their means; mm-hmm. that they gave more than they were probably should have got, given. And then verse four, he says, he touched their disposition. He says they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Mm. So he's raising money to help those who are in need, churches that are in need. And people are saying, these messengers are saying, please let us help. Let us give more. We can't wait to be part of this amazing ministry. Right. So they're seeing the big picture. They're seeing what their giving is able to do. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I feel like this is how a lot of people I know are. They are looking for good things to give money to. Yeah. They would love to bless um, it, you know, others with their giving. Mm. And, um, and so he, he talks then later about how the gospel is what motivates generosity. So the, the gospel is what moves us to generosity. Verse 9, he says, I, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become mm. rich. That is an amazing verse in which he shows the entire heart of generosity and how it links right. again to the cross. Right. The cross is what shows us why we should be generous. Right. Right. You had a you had a eternal God who lived in infinite wealth. Right. What we think of as wealthy is, is would be dirt poor in heaven. <laughs> right. Like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos have nothing in the in the heavenly sense. I don't know their hearts, but all of that is is worthless. Jesus was infinitely wealthy in the greatest sense and had all comfort, and yet he came out of heaven to live a humble. Uh, persecuted life on this earth, right? Despised, hated by people, in order to die a horrible death. So all of that is is Jesus becoming poor for right. us, yeah. Entering into our condition, not just monetarily poor, but poor in really every sense of the word. He was without, yeah. And yet he did that so that you might become spiritually wealthy, yeah. He emptied himself so that you could be filled up. So this is the message of the gospel. And Paul is saying, if you think of it in those terms, how could you not then be generous with your own money? Right. Like whatever you have, you have because of God, and then you should be living the same kind of life that he lived. Right. 
So that's one of emptying. So again, in Corinth, they have this upside down way of viewing the world. There's a worldly way of viewing the world, but they're saying, you know, power and wealth, all these things are great. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. Emptying yourself out, that's what's great because you're living in line with the gospel. Right. And so give, give, be generous and see the blessing that comes from generosity. Yeah, amen. So he, he goes on to talk about, right, that um, you, you give according to what you have, right? You, you give as God has given to you. Chapter 9, we can skip here, verse 6 says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So this is a, a, a principle throughout Scripture, right? As you are sowing, meaning putting the seeds into the ground, it's going to determine if you sow a lot of seeds, you're going to have a lot of plants to reap from in the future, right? Pretty simple idea. So what he's saying here, though, is as you give, that's how much blessing you're going to receive. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think what he's saying here is, you know, if you send $100 to the, the Paul Foundation, right, Paul's TV ministries, then he will, God is going to give you $100,000 this week. Right. Like, that's not what he's saying. He's speaking in terms of the truest blessings. And I've, I don't know, you've probably seen it too. I, I've seen it in my life or in the lives of others where people have given generously financially and God has provided in amazing ways for them financially. Mm-hmm. But if that was the only goal, <laughs> first of all, you'd be able to disprove that quickly, right? Because... If you give, sometimes you don't get back. Right. Right. Uh, uh, and then you can also, you know, see that it's it's kind of short-sighted because if it's only material wealth that you're gaining, then that's not that's not the best thing in the world, right? Right. This is much bigger than that. It's saying eternal blessings come as we give sacrificially to others. Yeah. As, as Paul's intention here and Christ's intention is obviously not, yeah, material blessing. It's heart blessing and the spirit and filled you know, joyful, cheerful giver, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, verse 7, and for each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah. And that, yeah. like, we're talking about it like that's a plain truth. Like, obviously, God, you know, but this, you know, these verses are regularly today misused to um, lead people, you know, as, uh, away from actual biblical teaching about generosity and giving. And Yeah. And I think it's easy. I mean, it... Like it's so interesting being on this side as a senior pastor now of the budgeting challenge, right? Of like, mm-hmm. oh, that's right. Like budget means not just like lining my pockets. I should say it doesn't mean lining my pockets as some people would think of it. It means making sure that that person gets paid and that person gets paid. And if they don't get paid, like that's going to weigh on me. It's going to be like heartbreaking for everyone. Or it's going to hurt them, Right. It's about paying bills. It's about being able to give to new missionaries, opening up opportunities for outreach, things like that. So that, you know, on this side of it, I see exactly how that affects things. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's easy, I think, when you, he- when you hear, when you have that kind of pressure to then guilt people into giving. Yeah. Well, why aren't you giving? You, oh, there's all these needs, right? And I see them and you need to give. And that's not how God wants us to address the right. flock, right? Mm-hmm. It's that, and, and that's why I always want to be careful of is I want to, I want to invite you into giving because it's one of the best spiritual disciplines that you can have mm-hmm. is to give to others and to see how God brings fruit from your money, which could have been spent on just like a vacation or a newer car or whatever. Mm-hmm. That That's just dust that will go away, but you get right. to invest that into God's kingdom. Right. Man, that's amazing. Yeah, amen. So, um, so verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you 
so that having all sufficiently if sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is an amazing statement too. He's saying that God's going to make sure that you have enough to do the works that he's laid out for you. Mm-hmm. So that's, God's going to give you enough time to do what he wants you to do. Not what you want to do. You're going to want to do a lot of things. <laughs> but God's going to make sure that you have sufficient amount and that you have enough wealth to be able to give when the situation arises. Yeah. So God's going to provide those things. And he's providing not just for you, but so that you can provide for others. Yeah. And then verse 11, he says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So God's going to give to you and bless you as you're giving so that you can give more, mm-hmm. so you can bless others more. Yeah. Not just, again, so you give $100 so you can get $100,000 and then <laughs> buy a Bentley or something. <laughs> uh, or, I don't know, Tesla. We're just talking about Tesla, so. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I feel like great. Teslas are becoming just like the new like Ford Focus, though. Everyone's just going to have one. They're going to be like really low-quality cars. Hopefully, you think? hopefully, no, I don't think that, but hopefully not. <laughs> I want a Cybertruck is what I want. <laughs> Cybertruck. What a waste. No, what no. A waste. This is a beautiful piece of machinery. It's like a prism, just like on wheels. Just <laughs> Love it. Thank chapter you. Chapter 10. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Musk. <laughs> so anyway, give generously, man. Be, be a person that lives in line with how Jesus himself lived and gave to others. Mm. Chapter 10, there's a turn that happens here. And you may have noticed it as you're reading. Whoa, Paul was like all nice, and we're gonna be, you know, brothers and sisters and be reconciled and all this. And then, like the rest of the book, he's very intense and he's just fighting. He has this combative kind of stance. This is the Paul I know. So what <laughs> happens here? What? Ha- why is it that there's a change in this? There's like whole, you know, books written on this, I guess. But why does it become more intense? It's possible that he, as he was writing this letter, because this letter was not written in one sitting, most likely. I mean. If you try to write it out, you'll see what I mean. This is a lot, lot of stuff here. So maybe as he was writing over the course of a few weeks or whatever, he received word about these super apostles. Makes sense. And so he says, I need to add this on at the end. Some people think that this was actually the painful letter that Paul talked about earlier mm, that was added on to the end of this book. But I, I don't think that's probably right. It seems like this actually does fit with the book and with his theme of the cruciform life. Um, but uh, I think what might have happened is he might have just, I mean, it might, he might have gotten word of something new or he might have just waited till the end to bring up some some tough stuff, you mm-hmm. know? You ever had that meeting with someone where it's like, oh, everything's great. And at the very end, as you're leaving, it's like, oh yeah, and like my life <laughs> is falling apart. Okay, <laughs> bye, you know? <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't know if that's exactly the, the motive, but maybe that's what's going on here. <laughs> but so he gets into this and he, he opens with talking about the power of the good news, the power of the word of God. In verses four and five, he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Yeah, amen. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Mm. So this is important because as he's going to defend his apostleship, he's talking about the message of his apostleship as mm-hmm. well. That's sort of under the surface. And so he reminds us with these amazing words how powerful God's word is and that it has the power to destroy and to tear down false beliefs yeah. and to, to bring people captive to Christ. It's like a warfare kind of, kind of metaphors here, but it's powerful, mm-hmm. right? It's life-changing. Yeah. And so he, he opens up with that, and then he begins to talk about how he's not going to brag, how he doesn't want to brag, how boasting and all that is should only be done in, in Christ. 
And he says in verse 17, right, the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord, quoting from Jeremiah, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So he's going to get into essentially laying out his own credentials, reminding them of, of who he is mm-hmm. and why his gospel is so powerful. And that has to do with his person and how God chose him on the Damascus road. Okay. But he wants to make sure we understand as he's bragging that this is not something that he's doing because he wants to lift himself up. Hmm. Because that would contradict his entire message, which is that the cruciform life is one of becoming less so that Christ can become more in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just be using the tools of the super apostles, which we'll hear about in a little bit. But yeah. We'll just be trying to one up them. You know? And again, so. remember these the, the context of, of Corinth, there was a lot of. Um, rhetoricians going around, right? People that were really skilled at speaking, that would that would gain these followings. And so that mentality of Corinth seems to be seeping into the church as well. Mm-hmm. These powerful, you know, heavy hitters who are getting paid a lot of money by the church, who are really something, right? And they speak eloquently. They're now critiquing Paul and saying he doesn't fit into the way that we do things. Yeah. Which is very much focused on the here and now. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Whereas Paul's saying it's all about eternity. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to think of that context as well. We don't know a lot about the super apostles, really just know what's what's laid out in Second Corinthians. So we can kind of build this image of who they were based upon the the what Paul's saying. Yeah. Um, so chapter eleven, um, verse five, indeed I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, even if I am, am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. So he's going directly at it now and saying, no, I'm not going to accept what's being said about me by these so-called super apostles mm-hmm. that put themselves over me right. because these people are distorting God's word. Right. And so he gets into some some more detail here. He goes through sort of his own uh, personal uh, ministry. So uh, let me see here. We're, we're in chapter 11 here, right? Yeah. So he, verses 22 or verse 21, he says, kind of second half of verse 21, he says, whatever, whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. <laughs> so he's, he's now going to get into it. He's saying, this is foolishness, but okay, if you want to brag, let me lay out who I am. And yeah. so he goes in detail here, right? He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. So he's going to lay out the ways he suffered, right? Mm-hmm. I've suffered more than they have. Verse 24, five times I received at the hand of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was drifted at sea. So he goes on and on and on, right? And and he says, verse 29, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fail, to fall, and I am not indignant? And so what he's doing is he's laying out his credentials, right? Imagine a, a superstar athlete instead of saying, look, I've won this many MVPs. I've won this many championships. They say, look at all the times that I have lost. Look at how many injuries I've suffered. Look at how, I mean... That's right. what he's doing here. Yeah. But he says in verse 30, this is why he's doing it. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. So he's trying to show his ministry in light of the cross and say, look, my ministry looks like Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, right? Bringing that yep. to fulfillment so the gospel can go out to the world. And then in chapter 12, it gets to a high point where he's speaking of 
himself sort of in code. Right? He's like, I know a man, you know, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but I know a guy who went to the the heaven of heavens, right, the third heaven, to the heaven to to be in the presence of God is the idea. So third heaven meaning there's you know layers of right heaven like sky is heaven. So third heaven is the what we would consider heaven. Mm-hmm. That's what he's that's what he's saying, and he says that this person who's himself by implication ex- heard things that can't be uttered, experienced things that are beyond understanding in heaven, and he says verse five on behalf of this man I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Hmm. Um, and then in verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Hmm. So he says, because I'd experienced all these great things, God wanted to make sure I was humbled. And so he gave me more suffering to endure. Now, what is the thorn in the flesh? This is one of these big questions for the book of Second Corinthians. What is the thorn in the flesh? Some people think it was some sort of health condition, mm-hmm. even an, an eye condition, because he'll say, you know, I knew that you would have, who does he say it to? I, I forget now, but he says to, so, to some church, I thought it was Corinth, but that they would have plucked out their eyes for him. Uh, so yeah. some people think, well, he had some sort of eye disease or issue, hmm. and they're saying like they would have given their eyes. I don't know. I mean, the, literally, messenger of Satan, that word messenger is just the word for angel. Mm-hmm. So it's possible also that there was just a demon that was harassing Paul. Right. That was torment, making life difficult for Paul in whatever sense. That he's talking about spiritual warfare here. So that's possible as well. But no matter what it was, he, he was given this by God, and it caused him pain. And so he was praying for it to be removed. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Mm. So he said, he concludes there, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So there's a conclusion. So God is not going to remove this. He's going to make him weak so that his God's strength can be revealed in him. Yeah. And so you have, again, the nature of the cross, the, the humiliation of Christ, his suffering in order to bring strength and power to everyone mm-hmm. who follows him. And so Paul's saying, my life is in line with that. And so he scolds them for forcing him to do this, right? But the idea that the gospel reminds us that power is perfected in weakness. Mm-hmm. So if you, the areas that you are ashamed of, that you are weak in, whether it's physical or spiritual, whatever, that you are lacking in the gifts that you don't have, those are ways that God's going to show his grace to you. And so we should remember that and we should be thankful for the way that God works in his providence to yeah. show his goodness and kindness and grace to us in our weakness. Yeah, amen, amen. And then in chapter 13, uh, we'll just kind of wrap up here, but... He kind of ends with a challenge here. Verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. So he challenges them. It's kind of a harsh way to end. He does soften it at the end, right? Rejoice, right? Live in harmony, all these things. But he's challenging them to say, you need to examine yourself. Yeah. So they're going to have another interaction, you can imagine, in the future, but yeah. they just kind of got spanked by Paul. 
Yeah, don't so. forget them. Classic, greet one another with a holy kiss. Of course, yeah. your favorite for yeah, sure. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's all we got for. Hope you've enjoyed First uh, and Second Corinthians, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. <laughs>